know when you're on like a family call and you're sort of like, <laughs> yeah yeah okay i gotta go yeah yeah it's Six, great one in a week. no more time <laughs> yeah uh the, the zoom calls and the quiz days oh, oh my, my god. god no one just talked about it it was just like oh we're going back into lockdown I hated. Oh, cool i hated i, <laughs> I had a few quizzes. quiz meltdowns actually uh where i i, I actually just in front of my whole family it's like i hate these quizzes i hate this <laughs> I don't care what the capital of this random, like. <laughs> it's so funny because you'd have these quizzes with people and then, like, you go, okay, see you later, bye. And it's like, it didn't even chat. ask how your day was, no. like, or chat. No. <laughs> it's like, also, I've, like, whenever we've hung out in person, you don't sit there and go, ah, oh, should we a do quiz? a quiz? I know. <laughs> yeah. But like, I've never done a quiz with these people in my life. Now I'm no. doing one a week. <laughs> Welcome to the Pool House Podcast. Hello and welcome to the Pool House Podcast. I am your host, Jake, here with my co-host, Andy White. How you doing, mate? I'm very well, mate. How are you? I am good. It's good to be back. We've got another guest spot episode for you today. Although it's slightly different as we have never met James before. He goes by the artist named Serrano. Really cool guy, really cool chat. And it was just really nice to have someone bring themselves into the pool house world. Yeah, I mean, that's what's, uh, what I thought was awesome about this one is that he uh, he contacted us through our email address, which is poolhouseproducers at gmail.com there he is so james reached out he sort of resonated with a few of the things that we were talking about so i was excited to sit down with him and and it, it didn't disappoint really we sort of really connected over a few things and almost bounced ideas i guess back and forth between us or best practices and so it's uh yeah it's a good one to dive into yeah andy we haven't really been chatting to each other too much to be honest with uh yeah we haven't really been talking that much it's been a busy time in the uh in the world of me yeah well when we spoke briefly the other day about sort of going away from music and coming back to music and obviously i'm not going to go too deep into that in the intro but yeah i i, I didn't manage to get around to a bit of music for a couple of weeks but i, I am back on it now it, yeah, it was good to be back i felt like there was i almost exhaust all my ideas then a couple of weeks goes by and i save up loads and, and i come back to it so that, that's sort of where i've been amongst other life stuff that's going on around me. I take it you've just been Mr. Rock steady as always. <laughs> Not, well, yeah, I feel like the last sort of couple of months have been a bit of a blur. I have been producing for other people. Um, I've just done an album. I won't speak about it too much because it's like it's so early on in... <laughs> the person that I recorded with has got another album coming out before this one. So I don't want to talk about... <laughs> this one before oh, that man. you know don't want to get on to the promo for the one after too soon but that's the way to do it people get two albums worth recorded and you are just good to go you can roll them out constantly for pretty much two years there you go that's the way to do it it's not easy to do but that is the way to do it You've had a song out called Don't Care that's doing the rounds. If you haven't checked that out, 1816, Don't Care. Thank you, mate. You know, you've got to plug that. Yeah, we won't keep you too long. I think the next episode will just be back to me and Andy. I've got some topics that I want to bring up. It might be a deep one. 
it's sort of going to be looking at how you view yourself and how that affects what you do in music and how you how your music turns out uh i I really look forward to talking about it because yeah i think it might be a bit of therapy for myself selfishly (laughs) (laughs) and also what you touched on there as well there's another episode in that of taking time away and coming back so we've got a few episodes there that we can easily do definitely without further ado let's get into the chat with james that is serrano stay good Serrano is a Scottish-born producer and multi-instrumentalist based between Edinburgh and London. After eight years of writing, saving up for studio time, recording and struggling to get his music over the line, he finally released his debut single White Wine in March 2021 and quickly followed that up with the EP Consolations. In this chat, he walks us through his story, from teenage ambition to naivety and how he overcame some obstacles along the way to finally have what he calls his free solo moment. He also has some advice for anyone looking to put out their first song and how to capitalise on its release. This is our conversation with Serrano. Enjoy. Sweet. How are you doing, James? Nice to meet you, Yeah, man. very very well. Likewise. Nice you both got very nice Zoom backgrounds. It's like perfected <laughs> over the last two years or whatever. Uh, yeah, we've been. Uh, I've been placing stuff in this room strategically so it looks good. <laughs> Zoom bragging or something. Yeah. This is awesome, man. Like, thank you so much for reaching out. Like, this is going to be a bit different for us because first person we haven't met at all. So yeah. this is very cool. First person that's like basically brought themselves into our community, the pool house community. <laughs> so that is awesome. Thank you so much for getting in touch. Yeah, you're welcome. It was you know, really like the podcast and I discovered it through Frank Colucci's one putting it up on his Instagram and I thought, oh, this is cool. I like, I love hearing like about, like, do you know the podcast Tape Notes and... Yeah, 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 um, I love it, yeah. What's that other one? Song Exploder and stuff. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah. And yeah, and I just thought it was, uh, kind of love hearing about people's journey in music as much as making music and... yeah. I think that's the hard thing and people don't maybe discuss that enough as sort of the successful artists you don't really hear their route in everyone's got a story and that and that's literally why we're happy to talk to anyone and everyone because it isn't obvious what path everyone goes through to get to it so all these questions we're going to ask you today are going to be genuine just wanting to learn about your story and your journey so um, let's kick it off First thing we love to ask people are like, what are your first memories of making music? Like, when did it all start for you? So I guess I started drumming and I was drumming with like mates in a band at school and I got like a little Tascam 4 track recorder from my uncle. I never really figured out how to get it going that well, to be honest. But in fact, my, my mate loves to show me it because there's a really bad vocal take I did once. <laughs> and you can do the fader, so it's just that. I'm like, oh, God. <laughs> so, but yeah, so I, I guess I always wanted to have a song that sounds like a real song, you know, like okay. it, I used to make demos on Sibelius, actually. Oh, like yeah, that sort yeah, of, yeah. And like Ultimate Guitar, do you remember this, like that guitar tabs thing you can do? Where you, yes, like, yes, yes. Like a yes. software that then plays it back. It sounds really, like really <laughs> bad, but like really addictively <laughs> yeah, bad. Yeah, for anyone who hasn't heard of those things, they're basically like, 
So Sibelius is like a scoring tool, essentially. You know, that's where it stems from. People used to like scoring, you know, orchestral pieces with the actual like proper reading music sort of method. I was introduced to that at school. It sounded terrible what it played back to you, but it was yeah. like the early form of essentially what MIDI has become, I guess. Yeah, um, exactly. And then, was it Ultimate Guitar? That yeah. was That is like, well, what everyone knows is guitar tabs where you have like the strings and the numbers and you sort of, and it just sounded like the most fake thing you've ever heard, just like no feel at all. I mean, it's amazing yeah. where we've got to now, but this was like the inception of the... From there, what, what happened with, with you? So, yeah, I made these kind of demos and then I got like a little interface thing, a Yamaha thing that I used for years. Eventually started using Cubase. And so most of the stuff on my sort of first EP is Cubase, which is really nice. infuriating to use, actually. Um, <laughs> but I bought Logic and just found it really... Conf- I just don't like Logic at all. I don't like how it looks. I don't like how it feels. It's just... Right, that's the end of this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> so... Uh, it's, it- yeah, no, it's interesting. I think everyone has, on a very base level, they like what they like in terms of an interface and how it looks. Yeah. You know, I'm predominantly a Pro Tools user because, you know, that's just my route. Like, whenever I went in studio with bands, that's what the producers were using. Yeah. And, like, last couple of years, they released, like, the new-looking Pro Tools. And essentially, the inverted version, it's black. And it is, to me, it's absolutely horrible (laughs) i I just flipped it straight back so i get it don't worry ableton is definitely the prettiest i like the colors Uh, i know yeah i'm with you on that (laughs) i just haven't delved into that world yeah so you said you drummed initially what was your next instrument or did you still consider yourself a drummer when you started writing your own songs yeah i so I, I did like a paper round for probably too many years, really, from like 14 to 21 <laughs> and <laughs> bought like a proper drum kit. But then I started buying all the other gear, like an MPC and things. Oh, nice. So that's kind of how I got into like making beats and things. But I, I basically all my bandmates decided they didn't want to do music anymore. And so I just had to kind of learn their parts. And I'd written yeah. the songs in the band with the lead singer. So I sort of would write on guitar mainly or... But then once they kind of dropped off, it became really liberating because I kind of realized like I don't need to worry about how this is going to be play live. You know, you just I'm just going to make it yeah. something. And although it's really disappointing because I was sort of like, how am I going to be a band? How am I going to make music? I don't have anyone to do it with now. I then just started making songs and tracks because that's what I wanted to do. And I, I then wouldn't worry about having like three synth parts at the same time and, yeah. you know, no guitar. Whereas before... I'd always be like, oh, should we start with the drums? And they'd be like, oh, cool. And then the singer would be like, maybe I'll do some backing vocals over it. And then the guitar player would want a solo and suddenly everyone wants their bit. Whereas now I feel like being a solo artist, you can kind of remove the ego of each player because if you're doing it all, it's, it doesn't matter if there's no beat for a while. It's, you know, yeah, you're quite like. So that's how I sort of started doing my own stuff, really. I actually just want to go back to the when the band ended and your friends decided that they didn't want to do it anymore because i i think that's something that most of us go through like 
was that just a band for fun or was that like an aspirational thing for you? Did you want to take it as far as you could? So how did the breakup feel to you? Was it tough? Yeah, it, I think we were very much like sort of a Bombay Bicycle Club kind of thing and, and like it was two guitars, bass and drums and I liked the idea of kind of experimenting a bit more. So part of me felt a bit liberated musically maybe. Okay. But on the other hand, I think maybe I didn't see that band as having to be the one, but I felt like they were my network of musicians at that age and, you know, being at school and whatever. And, and, you know, they were all like my best mates as well. So it felt a bit like you're kind of losing your friendships and that's what brings you together each week all the time yeah. to hang out and make music. And it is quite a weird time because then you sort of hang out and you kind of want to show them some demos you've been working on, but you know that you're not really doing music with them anymore, so... Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I completely yeah. understand. It's, uh, it's, it's a weird thing, because I think a lot of people are drawn to music in the teens. You know, most people are. Such an emotional time. And, it, you know, people want to party, and it kind of goes with it, and live music and everything. But when you're getting into a band with your mates, you don't actually realise that people have different ideas of what the band can be, and... You know, when it ends, you're sort of like, oh, <laughs> maybe we weren't all sort of on the same page. Like, you know, even though they're your, they're your best mates, like some people get into it for different reasons. And it can leave you like sort of alienated when you finally go solo or go it alone. Yeah. Um, so I completely understand where you're coming from there. However, once you do get past that, as you say, it then becomes really liberating and you've suddenly free to do whatever you want to do musically yeah. have you guys found that then have you have you both been in bands before yes go on andy yes i have been in a band oh, I, I, I still am in a band you still yeah, are yeah. in a band oh, cool. it's just yeah it's just i think for andy it's the thing of life and getting older makes it harder to be in a band but yeah. they are still a band they haven't yeah we are we are still a band yeah we're, i'm in a band called natives Cool. So, yeah, four of us. We are sort of drums, bass and guitar, but also heavily influenced by external things and obviously the, the capability to create whatever you want in your DAW. Yeah. So. And with me, yeah, I was in a band. I think we were all very committed and I think our thing was almost that we started too young. <laughs> yeah. So by the time we were 23, we'd been doing it for 10 years and wow. also really really doing it and then we kind of burnt ourselves out and you know industry things kind of went right and wrong and blah 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 so in essence what happened was we kind of were all done with each other in that current yeah, yeah. you know setup and then you know everyone went on and did other things in audio and music so you know I was the only one that fell straight into continuing directly with making music. making music the others sort of found different paths in management and one went to uni and is now in sort of soundscaping and audio design and that sort of stuff so everyone found their own path and we you know we're all still you know best mates but yeah. it's just interesting because from that young age well for us it was like this is everything we're touring the world with our mates and that's all we ever want to do then, <laughs> you know, it doesn't quite end up like that. But anyway, it's it's just an interesting topic, which I, I'm always interested to find what people's experiences are of that. 
let's move on a bit. So we've done a little bit of reading and research. So, uh, <laughs> but yeah, you said you spent eight years recording, writing, re-recording yeah. before you finally released something March 2021. I want to go into the struggles of why that was. Yeah. And well, I just want to hear it from you. Like, what was it that kept you going back? Also, congratulations on finally getting there because I'm sure it just feels like really great just to be putting out music. But what was it that held you back? What was the biggest hurdle for you? So I, I kind of had this ambition at school that I'd have like a song out, basically. So the band broke up at like lower six end of that year. And I thought mm-hmm. what I'll do is I'll save up my money and for like my 18th birthday go and record at the studio and just do two songs. And then I figured that, kind of naively, if I record two songs that studio quality, then I could get them to like this label guy and he'd be up for releasing them because they haven't even had to put any money into like that. And it'd be like, this is hopefully good. And you'll just be like, okay, I'll just stick it out. It's no skin off our back or whatever. And then I was quite naive, to be honest. And the production was really great. And like the studio that I ended up recording all of my stuff in. But with the mixing, I... I didn't realize that it can be done fairly quickly and the mixer just kept being like oh it's coming it's coming and they were just really busy and I just didn't get a mix back for a year because you know albums come out every two three years I kind of figured it was like that's why like mixing just takes so long so I just kind of sat on it and then it got to the end of school and then it got to that summer and then I was going off to uni and I was like oh can you just send me like the raw files and I'll just kind of try and mix it myself and put something out and then when I finally got it back it sounded quite good but like the drums weren't comped the vocals were sort of out of time a bit it was just it basically just a bounce straight up and it kind of just really just bummed me out really for the next yeah. year of completely I understand that like a fair amount of money recording and I still don't have that song that sounds like my favorite artists even if it's not a very good song or whatever it like just objectively sits at the same levels feels like fully balanced and stuff and uh then i just i, I just kind of got in a sort of difficult place for that next year and at uni i didn't really have my gear with me because i had a tiny room and didn't have proper speakers and things and just couldn't really write and then i connected again with the producer that i work with that summer after my first year and that's when we just said let's hang out again and just sort of work on music again the two of us and it just really kind of was an amazing time at that point i took these like demos and ideas i had and we just started crafting them in the studio and kind of experimenting with stuff and it felt just kind of the most exciting time like we'd sit in that studio and you'd hear the music and just think like this feels so exciting to me and i don't really care if anyone hears it or not like i'm just so proud of what we're doing right now and that's where the the fun really is for me but because of uni and so i was up in edinburgh in the studios in oxford i could only kind of go every sort of holiday time and then right you know again financially although he was like making it super affordable it was still just couldn't really afford to do it more than a couple of days every few months and then it kind of became another thing with mixing where I just felt a bit disappointed with the mixes and I didn't really realize that mixing was the key to finishing them but for various reasons that process dragged on throughout my last three years at uni and then I kind of brought on a band to start doing it live, but I brought them on too soon, basically. And it became really difficult with that because they were really good mates of mine. But again, I just felt like they'd come to the studio and all that really needed to be done was the mixing. And the drummer was like, what what can I do? What can I do? And I'm thinking, I don't really know. Like the drums are done. Like, so I kind of gave him the stem, said, why don't you make a remix or something? I was like trying to find something that would be good to do. And 
And so then that caused kind of conflict as well. And eventually I sort of said, I think I need to sort of take the project back to just being my thing and let me figure out how to steer it to the end, basically. And then I kind of took a little break after all that because it was pretty sort of stressful, to be honest. And like not all uh, band breakups are that easy, as you probably know as well. And like, Definitely not. it just took a lot out of me, really. And I, but I connected with this mixer called Jamie Ward, who does all my stuff now. And he really just kind of turned it around for me and made everything just sound finally like a proper track, basically. So I was going to release one song and then I thought, well, I've got one, I could just try and get that second one over the line and do it. You know, and then it became three and yeah. then I was, well, just get an EP done. Yeah. You know? And you just yeah. sit on them. And I just sat on songs for ages, you know. But over the pandemic, we just basically finished up those tracks and then I sort of decided to put the first one out in March last year because I kind of thought that would be the sort of time where lockdown eases a bit and like, you know, the sun starts coming out and it would just... Yeah. Where I always find that when I listen to a song, it sort of takes me back to that very first moment I was listening to that track. And yeah. I wanted people to hear my first track and sort of feel that sort of hope and release of, you know, lockdown and going and, and whatever. Yeah. I mean, yeah, incredible story. Thanks for sharing. Mm-hmm. I wanted to hark back almost to the start of you creating, like... Take us through, like, how does a song come about for yourself? I can see now, like, you're sat in what looks like a, a studio to me. Yeah. Was it bedroom produced? Were you writing it, remembering it for the next time you went to the studio? Like, how, how did you sort of craft the tracks that you have now from, like, the ground up? Well, I think I've got lots of advice on that because I think I do a lot of things wrong. And <laughs> this is probably one thing I'm most fascinated about with other artists is how do they do it like how do they make tracks especially tracks that are not just you know an acoustic guitar and vocal it's quite obvious how you might write that Mm. but essentially i i had like a microcorg and an mpc and i'd make a a beat on the mpc and then jam along to it on my keys and come up with a an idea but i fall into that trap every time of making a really cool loop and then not having any clue how to make it into a song basically (laughs) but i think one thing i know with my music is like I'll make lots of ideas but there'll be certain ones that I just keep coming back to and really kind of believe that there's a song in there and kind of wrestle with how to get it to be a song I'm not someone that like lyrics just flow out with vocal lines like I actually find that the hardest bit I've got nice piano chords and stuff that sounds like it could just be instrumental and that would be fine but it kind of feels Mm -hmm. like you want to add a vocal and I maybe have a a meaning behind the, the name of the title of the track and I want to tell that I think I do also get this thing of like when I find an idea that I really believe in, I think it could be something really great. But then it's like trying to start getting it further down the line. It's almost scary because you start closing doors on what it could be to the point that maybe it turns out to be not quite as good as it felt like it could have been and, and not realizing its potential feels really like... And do you, do you like beat yourself up at that stage? Definitely, you know. And I think that's frustrating. Yeah, it's massively frustrating. That's something I've gone through and go through. Like, we sound quite similar. Like, I'm always happy to make a loop. They're always really fun and you vibe on it and you're like, this is really cool. And you you sit there listening to it for hours and you're like, yeah, but it's not a song. And then everything sets in, you're like, oh, what's this going to be about? And then you're like, yeah, but if I write that line, it might not mean what I overall want it to be. And then I think ultimately that comes from having not done it enough. Yeah. You know, what I can say is 
from my friends who are like prolific songwriters, they just write and write and write. So they don't have that, they don't have that expectant, I want this one song to mean this and for it to be like this big and whatever comes out. And they might end up taking a lyric from that song and putting it back in that song. It's more of like a fluid way. Yeah. But it's really hard to get to because those people I'm talking about have been doing it basically constantly since they were 14 and they write songs every day. Wow. <laughs> you know, not everyone's like that, but I completely understand where you're coming from. You know, there's sort of like this fear that sets in when you're like, now it's time to write lyrics. Yeah. Especially when you're picking out like a statement and you want this big message. <laughs> Putting the first lyric down can be terrifying because you're worried you're going to mess up the statement or the overall message i just want to go back to when you mentioned about not realizing the mixing part of things was so important because you know there might be some people listening who you know are thinking the way you did think And it's really interesting because when you're making music, for us creators, there's nothing better than that feeling when you're hearing stuff back and the excitement and the euphoria and you're just like buzzing off this thing that you're creating. But it's interesting because then when you hear it back at a later date, whilst that emotion has disappeared, it's like a different ear you hear it with. So all those feelings that you had or have attached to it, kind of disintegrate because all of a sudden you're like, oh, this is actually what it sounds like and what people will hear. Yeah, It's a really strange thing to go through because (laughs) when you're making it at the time, it feels like that's it. That's it. Like literally print that, master it, (laughs) let's go. That, That is it. That's the one. And then after it, you get this sort of reality check I I guess that's the best way of putting it it sounds like that was a very important part of your journey to get to actually releasing it was learning there's almost a couple of stages to get something released ready yeah one of the sort of funniest moments I think I've had is that one of my tracks called collateral I had this home demo of and I was so attached to that it was the kind of the first track I made post my band breaking up and it was I sampled these taiko drums from a like a Japanese taiko group called Kodo. And I kind of was loving that J. Paul record and thought, oh, I want to do something like that. And I got so invested in the process of, of actually sampling up the beat and the sample itself. And then as, you know, got a bit closer to the idea of releasing it, I was like, oh shit, I kind of need to um, get that cleared if I'm going to put it out. And you're like, ah, <laughs> oh, six years on, why did I not think of this a bit sooner? So I, yeah, I ended up applying for clearance and then they wanted to take like 50 or 100% of the track or something crazy. And I was sort of like, this is probably, probably just figure out a way of getting free samples. And, you know, you splice yeah. in the end and that yeah. works. And actually, I think it was yeah, a definitely. bit more hi-fi <laughs> anyway. Well, it's just amazing. There's, there's so many things to learn in this whole yeah. crazy thing that is music. And you don't realise when you just fall in love with music and you're just like, I want to make something like that. Yeah, you hear samples and all sorts of things happening in music you listen to. And then it all gets a bit heavy and you're like, oh, I've got to figure out how to do that and get that cleared. And uh, it's, it's, it can suck 
all the life out yeah. of the actual joy of, you know, you ended up making something you loved and then ultimately having <laughs> to sort of fix it yourself just to be able to get it out. Oh. It's, it's bizarre sometimes. <laughs> I guess I kind of got to the stage where I had to accept that like, I have like severe demoitis, which is probably another reason, yeah. you know, like just oh, getting yeah. so hooked on this thing that was really not very well, you know, I, I didn't know what I was doing basically. But, and I remember getting my mate to sit there and I was comparing the original chords stem with a slightly tightened up version. And I'm like, but which do you prefer? Which has more feeling? And he was, I was like listening so intently. He's like, mate, I really <laughs> don't know. And then I realized that it's all going to change when it gets mixed anyway. So like I was like focusing so heavily on this stem that was going to get EQ'd and all the, you know, I was such a waste of time, but I was so fixated on this and so obsessive and like such a perfectionist. And I've kind of managed to unpick that and learn to like, you know, get things going a bit quicker and not worry so much about like everything because I think it is almost an excuse for just not knowing what to do next almost on the track is to just hone in on something. Yeah, it is. It's evil. Perfectionism. It is evil. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> One thing um, you saying that the difficulty of like getting stuff across the line and the, and the demo-itis, is that one of the reasons you like to or chose to make it a sort of concept album? So the concept was there. It gave you the parameters you could what you knew what you were working towards and what you were working within, so it sort of helped you get to the end. Because we recorded uh, an album that's essentially well, is a concept album, and it gave us a lot of sort of parameters and and sort of focused everyone on the project into like what the vision was. So I just wondered if if you used the concept to help you get to the end, or it was just something else. I think it's funny you say that because I think that's actually the concept kind of for my next EP rather than the last one, <laughs> probably. <laughs> on the back of it but so the i have a track called limitations that i've been working on at the moment and one of the sort of points in the last sort of last eight years i kind of started working and i started going to the studio at the weekends and then i try and catch up with mates in the evenings to basically try and sometimes i just felt with work that if it felt too you know repetitive you i wanted to sort of feel like i'd done something with my day that felt more than just going to the office and back so I'd go see mm-hmm. people in the evening and I just got to this point where I was coming home from the studio at like 2am on a Sunday night, getting up at 7 to go to work and commuting for an hour either way, just totally burnt out and got like shingles, which is not even a cool thing to get, you know. It's just, nah. <laughs> I feel like you have to be 70 or something. Um, <laughs> but you know, I got it and I was just like wiped out completely and I couldn't go to the studio and like it just really knocked me back and I just had this realization that like, you know, I used to do that a little bit of when I went to Oxford and I'd get the night tube up and back, drive at four in the morning, whatever. And as I'm getting a bit older, I'm sort of realizing, especially I have more commitments, like you have a job that you, you know, you have to actually commit to. And and mm-hmm. it just, yeah, it made me really realize that I can't do everything, but it also was so frustrating that I was going so hard at the studio, still not finishing anything, still didn't feel like I had anything that was able to put out but i felt like i worked so hard like every moment even during the day i'm thinking about and on my lunch break i'd be emailing people or bringing my laptop in and sitting there on ableton like for an hour and the concept of my next ep sort of about limitations on on my body and like my health and then on time and time and money and at uni having loads of time to make the music but no money to fund it and then the flip side now and then 
the third track about sort of the limitations that we kind of need to put on ourselves as a planet to support ourselves, you know, by 2050 and things. Love and that. with so that cool. comes the recording process of putting limitations on how many tracks yeah. I'm going to use, how many instruments I'm going to use, you know, not great. because of that, because actually I think the flip side is actually I've realized as with each track, I've taken fewer and fewer layers I've made, you know, so white wine was my first track, but it was actually the last one I wrote. And it's so okay. much more simple than Collateral, which is my first track, where I have like five synths doing the same melody. And I'm like, <laughs> just write one good melody and you don't need five synths. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> That's something that Andy's been through as well. Definitely. You know, I think it's just you get excited and you're just so excited by layers and, and different yeah. instruments that you need to get past that for you to be able to be, you know, actually have a more musical curated ear to be like, no, actually, let me just make one good sound that does all the things that yeah. I want it to do. Yeah. It, it's really challenging to get to that. But I, I absolutely love the sound of that EP. I think I was hoping you were telling the story and I was about to say, this is what you should be writing about if, if you're not <laughs> writing about it. And then you said that is what you're writing about. Just a quick break to let you know if you're looking for some free stems, sample packs, production, production breakdowns, breakdowns, you can find some over at poolhouse.com. Now back to the episode. So you were talking about White Wine being the song that ultimately got you to the point where you're like, right, let's go, this is it. Yeah. What was it that finally made you go, I'm going for yeah. it? Well, I think because, so the first track I got, mixed was afterburns and it's six minutes long and i was gonna just stick it out and i thought let's just put it out just so that i have one track to show from the last sort of at that point six years basically of making mm -hmm. music and paying for studio time and a lot of effort basically you know i think it's it's worth releasing and then i realized that i don't think that's the right song to launch with basically it's just what felt like the right way to kind of give people a flavor of my music like i kind of wanted something that's a bit of middle of the road in my sound not too extreme in any of the other ways but my okay. e first ep's concept is called consolations after this book the consolations of philosophy and so the idea is that each track is about a different theme of like love anxiety depression and growing older and kind of my own experiences with them and then the fifth constellation is the artwork which is a constellation and just that idea of you being like tiny in a huge universe basically mm -hmm. white wine doesn't fit on that ep thematically and i had four songs finished exact plaster which was one of them on there and i was like oh, i could do it as an ep and get it out but i just really wanted this concept to be the thing so i just finished that one as well but then I thought I'll do a single and then an EP and build up to that. But I also then realized that with White Wine being less than three minutes, it's quite a nice way of getting people started with it. It's kind of, it's got a saxophone on it and that people, <laughs> classic, are like, oh, it's got a saxophone, you know. <laughs> it's, like, it's a nice introduction. Yeah, it's, it's, yeah, it's kind of got my road sound and you know, some of my NPC beat work and stuff. Like it sort of touches on a lot of the different things I like to do without, you know, some of the other tracks go a bit harder in those elements. So emotionally, were you sort of ready to release with the EP, but it just wasn't quite right for yeah. how you wanted to release? Because I, wa I, okay. I knew that I didn't want to release without finishing the whole thing because I wanted it to be okay. mastered together and I wanted to make sure that I don't put one song out and have nothing to follow up with. So 
I could have put like one track out back in 2020, but I kind of thought I'll hold off and get more material lined up so I can keep consistently releasing, which I've seen you guys have been doing, and, and I think it's great. Trying and, to. Yeah, well, I mean, I'll, I, I just it's put hard. out these instrumental versions of my EP as all sort of yeah, smart. way of taking it over like, without really adding too much more music, you know. Yeah, um, yeah. No, it's smart. You've got to use all the, all the tricks just to keep... Yeah, consistency is it's really yeah. tough. So the best way is to do a project and get them all done and then be able to roll them out. Yeah. You know, as and when. I think the difficulty can be, you know, you spoke about the trouble with when you're writing one and then two and then three and how without finishing them, you end up with this big body of work but no actual finished songs. Yeah. That's exactly what I did. I essentially wrote like... 20 songs or well, say songs like ideas and verse and choruses basically yeah. was, and we did a similar thing when i worked with andy on the last natives album and <laughs> you sort of get yourself into a like false position where you feel like oh we've done all this work and we've got all these songs yeah but none of them are finished and then it yeah. becomes a massive slog so what i'm experiencing now is like having some quite old songs but having to sort of reimagine them to keep me excited so yeah. in hindsight i wish i had a little less ambition yeah <laughs> i was just like i'm gonna get one or two songs done maybe it's either side of what i want to do maybe it's like the major side and the minor side however you want to put it the happy side and the sad side just to like show different sides of me and then maybe i would have got over the line quicker it's that loop thing again. You can get excited by doing ideas. and I think you do have to practice finishing stuff. You do, yeah. yeah. Like that needs to be part of, the, part of the process. So now that you have got to that point, is it easier to sort of... Yeah, now you've released one and two and three and four and five. Do you feel like, yeah, that practicing of that, finishing the songs, understanding the process has streamlined your process at all do you feel more confident from a to b yeah i'd say i know my team as it were in terms of what i'm responsible for what position i want to get things in and when when i can let it go for mixing and learning that like if i want a bit more like warmth in the roads or something like not to fixate on a whole day trying to just knowing that that can come through the mix and focus on the part okay. and understanding that it's going to take you know maybe a couple of weeks for mastering with a revision perhaps or there'll be a day for it but you know if i want to master a track now i'm probably gonna to have to book it in for a couple of weeks and then maybe give a six week lead time so you kind of have to think when do i want to put this song out well this is my deadline to finish it and actually focus on it and sit down make the time to really you know stop listening to my soundcloud demo playlist and instead like <laughs> write some bloody <laughs> lyrics for it basically and yeah yeah do essentially the hard things, you know. Yeah. We're all guilty of going, oh, do the fun, easy things. But there are hard things with getting things over the line. There just yeah. are. You know, yours is lyrics as it is for me, as it is for a lot of us. <laughs> yeah. And it's, I think actually it's, it's arrangement and structure. I always get to this point where you've got verse, pre-chorus, chorus. And then it's like, and what do I do? Just the same again? And it just feels so copied and pasted. Yeah. And... Yeah then I fixate on trying to change chords and like, oh, I need a new chord sequence. And then the vibe of the 
new chord sequence it makes me feel something slightly different and then it becomes like you're saying about the idea is like the track limitations has these really kind of reflective chords i'd say and then i kind of came up i've got this other chords and like oh it's gone a bit more poppy than i might want it to be or it's it's mm-hmm. uh darker than i want it to be and then like i don't want this to be a like a sad song or and then that frustrates me and you're like well then you know. I don't know if you've listened to the Fred again oh, tape yeah. notes. That's so good. Because he talks about, there's a, I can't remember which song, but yeah, there's, there's basically one song where he just talks about chords, how he did like so many different revisions because the chords just didn't quite express the emotion that he was trying to. And it was, it was actually, I think he had to leave a chord out. <laughs> which is which is interesting because often you're like oh add an extra chord but mm. yeah sometimes that is the battle like you're just trying to find the chords that sum up the emotion yeah. but it is annoying when you're like yeah but i like these chords as well but it's just learning how you also work isn't it yeah. um you know because you're obviously a player i imagine it's quite easy to just get distracted by just naturally playing different chords so that's a bit of a challenge you have to learn because there's there's something in feel of actually doing something so sometimes if your hands go a certain way it feels nice but maybe when you listen back it doesn't yeah translate it's it's those battles that can be really tricky i do feel like i'm almost writing the same chord sequences all the time and then I try and stop that. And sometimes the best way to get out of that is actually to learn someone else's song and yeah. in a completely different key. And it feels so uncomfortable, but in a really nice way that you're like playing a chord that you just feel like you've never heard or played before. And then you just kind of move a couple of fingers around to find that note that you actually want. And, oh, cool, this is... And it just feels so fresh because it's not that standard chord shape I always do and my voicings and... It can it can literally open up a whole new world in your brain of like, wow, like a new chord is like adding a new tool to your repertoire, yeah. basically. It sounds to me like you've probably written about four songs worth of ideas in one song. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so are you working on your own all the time when you're writing? Do you do any collaborating or anything? I think... I. I would really like to, but I think what I find difficult is I feel like there's this like the time money battle almost of yeah I've got mates that I'd love to do my music with, but I know that they just don't really want to do it like I do in the sense of yeah. committing basically. It's about having people in the room who are aligned yeah in every way, isn't it? Yeah, I, I get that. It's hard to have people that kind of get music in the same way you do or or see it in the same way to want to make the same type of music and then also Mm want to make it not make it as an artist but like make the song and put it out and not decide to sort of bin off a studio session or hanging out to do music and it just ends up hanging out you like i actually want to do the music and when it's with mates it's like they might not take it as seriously as you do and then when it's with people already in the industry then it's sort of I guess I don't really know when you have to sort of pay people if, you know, like there's people that I really like their production, for example, and would love to work with. But then I'm like, I can't afford to sort of pay them for like a writing session and then Mm -hmm. keep paying them for something that may not turn out to be a song that I actually want to end up releasing. It could become so much money. It becomes like a gamble. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, no, I, I, I get that. Like, you know, that can come whenever. I, I don't want to lead you down a path that, you, you, you know, if you've got your way of creating, you know, me and Andy write predominantly on our own as well. I collaborate in terms of producing people and I do songwriting sessions with some people as well. But the one thing I will say is there are people around who are happy just to make music yeah. <laughs> and are still aligned and are happy to figure that out later. But I mean, you do have to sort of seek it out, which is always the argument against time. But yeah, there may come a point you just, and you know what, let me just get in a room with someone else just to learn a different way of doing things. It sounds like right now you're in a good space and you've, you've got your limitations, it's yeah. pardon the pun. <laughs> you know what you're doing for the foreseeable, so... You know, I'd, I'd definitely just go with that. But maybe there's a collab within this chat yeah. right here. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> well, I think it's, I guess, like, so I also play with a band called Leif Erikson. And okay. I kind of took White Wine, which was finished pretty much. But I wanted to kind of hone in on some details, basically, like just kind of work on the beat a bit more, add some kind of weird things. And it felt like it wasn't fully finished to me. So I took the stems away from, like, the the studio that I'd kind of been producing with and then I'd sat with the track with my mate and we sort of talked through the lyrics and he basically helped me tease out the the meaning more and get the next verse yeah because in two minutes 50 or whatever it's a tight amount of time to really tell a narrative and yeah. the track itself to me it felt like a, a track that didn't want like a, a story of lyrics the same way as some of my others do and and then he added some like acoustic guitar on there and he's a, just such an amazing player like that. And that added so much. And then I just gave him a cut on the track and that, that's perfect. There's kind of, I have the track and I can't get it over the line and collaborating with people that would help do that is the kind of dream really. Yeah. And I feel like on my own is not really what I want to be doing. It, it can be a daunting thing. I mean, <laughs> I'd say like I work with a lot of people in different ways, but... I do have a fear of working with people on my own music. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's a very different thing. You know, that's the amazing thing about some artists who are just able to be vulnerable straight away. You sit down and they're just such an open book. I'm not like that. I'm happy to be like that in my music, but I have my insecurities as an artist to yeah. be in a room with someone who... You know, I think as long as there's mutual respect and everyone in the room is just there to focus on the song, then it is like the greatest thing in the world because when you can get different minds working in harmony, it's, yeah. you know, it's great. But it's not an easy thing to land on because it's all about chemistry, isn't it? <laughs> and, That's kind uh, of what I have with my mate kit that produced most of my EP. Yeah, so I wanted to ask about that. So so Kit, who is a touring member, percussionist with Foles, right? Yes. Yeah. So is he someone you've known a while or how did that relationship come together? Yeah, about nine years now or so. And he's been amazing for helping me find my sound, I'd say. You know, I remember taking tracks to him and I'd written this loop on my guitar pedal and I was playing guitar chords and a beat and he was like i mean love the chords but like i don't know maybe you could do it on the roads instead of the guitar and i was like okay and then yeah. we kind of ended up playing the roads chords in and then putting them chopped and putting them on the mpc and then playing them in again that way and 
then the roads kind of became my instrument for that ep especially and and just like what i then wrote and how i made stuff and it it i kind of gave up on guitar because i'm not very good at guitar and <laughs> I, I do prefer keys i think because yeah you know i'd love to be writing with him whenever i could really it's just again by him touring the world all the time he's a pretty busy guy yeah. so yeah 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 are you someone who likes to be in the room with the person you're working with is that often how you work yeah yeah i think so okay. i think you just you get a feel for stuff and i've done collaboration my mate cj and i i think he's another person that we click with really well and he uh, he's cj pandit and he's basically we just sent each other a dropbox of ideas and then we had this one track which he sent me this idea and i just wrote loads over it over the mp3 basically mm -hmm. And then he yeah. took that and then he just restructured what I sent him and sent it back. And together we were like, wow, this is this is so exciting. And I had that sort of buzz for like collaboration. And then I think that we were making what was a really exciting demo. And it's just like, right, how are we going to make this sound like a track? You know, and I think that's the issue yeah. is that I have stuff that just sounds cool, but sounds demo quality. You know, like there's that drummer thing on logic i think that we used yeah. to create a beat on that he had the drums from there and i was thinking that's cool but you know are we going to do these live then and yeah getting to that next stage of making an actual song that becomes a bit more difficult definitely but i think yeah feeding off each other and bringing an idea in but then having someone help steer it and discuss it and help tweak out things and it's often it's just getting out your head so yeah. if someone can just ask the questions that yeah. you're thinking in your head and you have to answer them <laughs> yeah. to someone else, it makes you understand actually what you think. Yeah. And, and it sounds like, you know, what Kit was doing for you is, you know, what I believe is the true sense of producing, which has yeah. just been like, have you thought about this? You know, you could do that, but it may be better on this. And that sounds like such a simple thing, but it actually changes the whole landscape of that song <laughs> yeah yeah um, definitely. so you know obviously that's a bit of a shame you can't get in a room with them more but you know maybe there's someone else who can do that for you as well it can be a mate it can be someone who just has a different viewpoint it is difficult as well because when you found someone who clearly works well yeah. with you <laughs> you want to be with them all the time almost yeah you don't want to find someone else so i, I get that um, well, I, th I think that's where i did open up I think, well, I think that was a bit of a thing was like, I just felt like Kit's own music he makes, he's, he makes a variety of stuff, but it's the ambient side, the techno side and the sort of, he's been a band called Trophy Wife as well. And that was like similar to kind of Foles and stuff that like their early stuff and all of those styles just really aligned with how I feel music and his, even his vocal style feels yeah. quite similar and it's that sort of Oxford sound in a little way. And yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so for a long time, it was just like, this just works so well, I don't know why I'd need to change it. And then also the studio was great and it has all this great gear. And between the two, I was like, that feels like my sound is is that studio as much as the songs themselves. Yeah, yeah. And that was limiting because yeah. I, I can't always afford to go in there and it's no. not, you know, it's not available to do it. But then now I am far more open. So I am trying to do collaboration with people and produce for people where I kind of apply my tastes and my ideas. And, you know, I love her. What's it, a pre-delay on a snare drum so it goes <laughs> however um, <laughs> you know but like 
I want to make a song that sounds like them, not something that sounds like me. Although I have like yeah. things that I would do, it's respecting that this is someone else's track. So I think I've learned a lot on that and I am trying to just collaborate more and, you know, see where things go with that and and enjoy that process because I think otherwise making music on my own can be quite lonely in a way. It's like, you know, oh, when yeah, it's going well, <laughs> no one there to yeah. hype with you on it, you know, when you feel like it's yeah. a really cool idea. Exactly. And the idea of this pool house community, you know, my dream would be that almost every guest that comes on forms a relationship with someone, whether yeah. it is a producer relationship or it's just someone with mutual respect, you can go, I'm struggling with this. You mind just having a listen? Should I do this or should I try something else? Yeah. If those kind of relationships can be born out of this podcast, that's like the greatest thing to me because coming back to like when your band ends and like you're left on your own, you're like those friends or that circle kind of just dissipates. It's just not there anymore. So if you're the person that still loves to make music, it's much harder to find people, one, at a similar level because... For example, with me, a lot of my friends are quite successful. (laughs) And, you know, I'm still doing my little old thing. But part of that reason is because I have shut myself off. Maybe not purposefully, but like subconsciously. And in the past, I need to do it all my own. Yeah. I'm now trying to not be that person because I don't think that helps anything. (laughs) You don't learn more. You don't like evolve really. I mean, you do evolve to a point, but... Yeah, if there's relationships, people who are aligned and, I don't know, people start doing remixes for each other or different versions of songs or whatever, that'd That'd honestly be be the most amazing thing. Maybe I'll make a little WhatsApp group and and this can be be the first. Yeah, go for it, man. (laughs) I love that. I think that's the thing I've been doing with remixes is putting them out with various people and just, you know, very open to how those go, for example, because it's, it's how they interpret my tracks rather than it necessarily having to be something that's my sound because I don't want it to be, you know? And yeah, I think that I'm in that same thing of like, I kind of regret not playing in more bands at uni because I kind of had this project and I thought that we were going to finish the EP sooner than we did. And that was all, you know, all on me really. But as a result, I kind of thought I'll maybe make a band of my own there to come and play my stuff when it's done. And so I kind of want to focus on that. And actually... I'd love to have been just first and foremost a drummer and that's actually what I really just want to do is drum for a band. Do you miss that? Yeah, massively, you know. I really want to drum. I've ended up playing keys for for a lot of people and NPC stuff and things and that's cool. Like I like trying to program the the NPC to bring out some stuff in someone's live show for them that's some stems and some weird samples they have that they would otherwise not do. But yeah. at the same time all I'd really want to do is like really dig in on the kit and Yeah, yeah. I'm sure the opportunity will arise at some point. Like, yeah, you, you know, know, just as it comes. But I guess this is my thing, like this studio space I'm in now is like a a great community of people and everyone's working with other people. And it's really cool to be a part of something that's a bit more collaborative in that way. And there's so much to learn from other people. I mean, I find that just in life in general, that the most interesting yeah. people often are people that are completely out of your you know, age bracket and your sort of way of yeah, living. Completely yeah. different perspective, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Where are you, if you don't uh, mind me asking? A place called Acetate in Tottenham Hale. So sort of like north. Okay. East, yeah. Yeah, yeah. 
So yeah, it's like a nice blue blue room in here. Um, <laughs> and how long have you been set up there? So I only only for this last month, really. Cool. So I did a track called Plaster with the guy that owns the studio, basically a guy called Luke Smith. Okay. And they're looking for someone to kind of rent it when he's not in. So I just sort of come at the weekends, mainly take days off work and come in like today. And just it's, you know, I'm learning a lot from him on all these sort of real you know, EQs, compressors and all these things that you otherwise use a plug in and sort of noodle around on yeah. and not really know what I'm doing with it. And and that's really cool. And the synths that just add something to the tracks and miking up amps and that gives extra life to, you know, something that you... I don't really like using MIDI, which again is only a limitation on myself. I know how good it is and what can be achieved, but I think that I like using my MPC to make a beat because I'm I know how to get like a bit more of a shuffle and a groove or a feel. Yeah. When I do it on a computer, I end up feeling like I have quite bad OCD where I put everything on the grid and I know it doesn't need to be or shouldn't be, but I can't help box stuff off for how it has to look. And I'm yeah. trying to write music with my ears and not my eyes. Yeah, of course. You know that makes a lot of sense to me. That definitely sounds like it's the correct thing to do. Obviously, people can do amazing things with MIDI, but mm. that may not be, you know, the right thing for you. And that and that's cool. Obviously, the journey of getting to the point of saying, right, I'm going to release this. Yeah. How did you release it? How did you get it on Spotify? How are you managing to gain streams? I think you, you've been in some hype machine charts. There's some BBC stuff as well. So just for like somebody else, maybe six months behind you in the journey, like just can you just take us through how you got to where you are now in terms of your release? Definitely. I think that was something I actually was going to give you a heads up on that I'd like to talk about, to be honest, because I've learned so much in the last year and I've experimented a lot. I think first thing I looked for a distributor and I've kind of felt like I'm not skeptical about labels. I guess it always felt like this validation that you get signed by it and that's, you know, you're now officially an artist or whatever. But actually, I've heard stories where people kind of get trapped by their deal. You know, having felt trapped by my music before, I really don't want to go down that where there's kind of, you're just not allowed to release anything and that's the end of your journey and you think someone else controls whether I can or can't do music. It sucks. So there's that side and I think at this early stage, actually especially now in 2022, I think it's about being as discoverable as possible musically, putting yourself on every DSP platform possible. You know, I, I release my instrumentals as individual instrumentals and then as one long 30-minute clip that you can just run in the background, mm -hmm. simply so that it's like an extra thing that you've got there online. And people can experience it in different ways and put it with like a visual and whatever. Yeah, yeah. I also decided to stagger each release and waterfall them so you put you know for anyone that doesn't know that like the first track out then when you put the next one out you put that as track two on that single and it gives it a nudge so you get a play every time basically automatically people tend to listen to it and so you know when i put my fourth track out you're actually hearing the last three as well which allows people that hadn't heard it as well if they missed your release somehow to kind of get it and that kind of helps build the momentum there what distributor are you using? Um, Cartel Music Group, they're called. Okay. So they do a deal with me where they I don't pay them, but they take a cut from my streaming, but they then pitch to Spotify on my behalf, Apple, Deezer, Amazon, and upload it everywhere for me. And, you know, it's hard cool. because so far I haven't landed a, 
editorial Spotify playlist. And it does feel a bit like if you're not on one of them, how did you get discovered? Because that's just such a reach of people and individual listeners. But on the other hand, I don't think you can blame the distributor for maybe not landing it because there are so many tracks being uploaded. There's so many people going for those spots and those spots are actually only available to a handful of independent artists or rather there's a handful of spots available. Um, labels you know, own a lot of the sort of tracks on that playlist. But one thing I think, if I had one piece of advice for anyone about to release their first track, it would be to find any distributor that you feel comfortable with. Maybe find one a bit smaller that will give you more focused time. So for example, Cartel are releasing, say, five songs a week. Then there's a chance that they're going to look at your release properly, service it properly, give it a push, put it on their newsletter, and maybe highlight it as the focus track from that week to Apple, for example. And I've landed some Apple playlists as a result of that. Whereas if you go for quite a big one, you might get lost as that very first artist when they've also got loads of big artists on there. But if you line up a bunch of releases rather than just sticking one track out, then you have a you know six months in the pipeline or a year that you can spread that out over. And if you get that Spotify page as soon as you can. So I sent my track White Wine in mid-January knowing that it was coming out at the end of March so that I could get my Spotify page and I had about four weeks before the track came out where I put my headshot on, full bio, did a charity donation pick, had every field that you could, you know, created a playlist as well. And then I sent my page round to all my mates, to everyone I know who had been anticipating me finally releasing something and said, here, it's going to be on here, it's coming out soon, can you please follow it? And you can kind of shamefully plug at that point because no one's that precious about following you on Spotify the way that they might be on their Instagram or whatever because you're not going to bother them. Like they're not really going to see content from you every day. But also it's so much harder to actually get people to normally follow you on Spotify versus Instagram because people don't really think about it. There's so many of my favorite bands that I'm not following on there. So I managed to get 250 people to follow me before any song had come out, which meant that on release day, those people get it delivered to the release radar straight away, rather than starting from zero. And then also it builds up that conversation that they followed you. And some people confuse, like, where's your song? And I said, oh, it's coming out in a few weeks. But suddenly I opened all these channels of communication with people and could go back to them on release day and say, here's that song now. And I got 1,200 plays on that first day which is like the best I've ever had basically since because everyone was so hyped for it and there was just yeah. one song to listen to it was less than three minutes long people put it on repeat I think it was probably a more accessible track of mine and I just felt like it really got people going and also releasing in the middle of the week as a new artist I wouldn't bother with a Friday because I've released on a Friday and I've been driving to a wedding that day and I've been busy all weekend and I haven't promoted it. And I'm like, well, if I'm busy, how the hell is anyone else going to listen to this? And if you release on a Tuesday or a Wednesday, people go into the office on one of those days, probably. And one of those days they work from home. So they might listen on their commute whilst they're at home on a Friday. I just don't think you get that connection. That's great advice. That really is. I tend to go for the midweek as well. I think what you're saying there is like you're really actually thinking. You're really thinking about how people listen. Mm. And don't underestimate that. <laughs> you know, you said you've given instrumentals, you've given, you know, the normal versions, the long format version. Yeah, you've, you've really thought about your potential listeners and you got rewarded on 
day one. What's interesting, and it's something that me and Andy have experienced, is you only get that opportunity once. Yeah. That first song, you know, everyone is so excited because they're like, what's it going to be? You know, after all this time, you only get that opportunity once. So you can pretty much shamefully plug and you won't really annoy anyone. The difficulty we found is beyond that first song, you essentially take out all the polite listens and you're left with who actually cares (laughs) on your second and third song. Is, Is that something you've experienced as well? Yeah, I think, you know, another thing I noticed with my releases, so with my second release, I kind of nerdily made an Excel spreadsheet of everybody that I basically messaged or could message with my song and kind of thought about how they, you know, reacted to it and if they seemed interested. And I think everyone was very polite and really kind, you know, for that first release and and continually. But, you know, I felt like, okay, well, they seemed to like it and seemed interested. and, And I made sure that I wasn't just asking for them. I felt like... I used it as an excuse to actually catch up with people and find out what's going on in their lives as much as can I share my song and I'd love you to listen because it's really important you don't just say we haven't spoken for five years listen to my music you know that's kind of a dick yeah, move yeah and I do like to try and just message people regularly and keep in touch you know I'm, I'm not great at replying I, my kind of philosophy is like when someone's name pops in my head I normally think oh I have a message and I'll see how they're doing and then make a plan to see people and whatever and especially in lockdown it was quite good at like having a phone call catch up with someone that was in like you know broad and then just naturally they ask about my music and you tell them i got this song and they want to hear it and then when you can follow up with them and say oh i've got this song and it doesn't feel so out of the blue and it's yeah there a lot of people like really get excited by it and want to champion it for you and one of the big mistakes i made when recording music is had this stubbornness to turn phones off in the studio never you know we didn't have wi-fi in there it was like we're going in here all day long to make music and you know i don't need to film and tell everybody i make music i just need to make music like and actually got to release then i was like i I have no evidence that i even made this or nothing to share the journey with so now i'm like a bit more focused don't know how things are made they you know they, they just hear a song and for all they know is you went in the studio and someone else did everything and you just sang the words. Like yeah. they don't know to what level and what degree. You have to really show tell it. the story. Yeah, and show it. I'd, if if you want that sort of, yeah. you know. Well, also for me, a, a lot of my school friends didn't know that I was singing now on stuff yeah. or I don't just play drums. So <laughs> I released the song and they're like, who's singing? Like, that's me. And they're like... <laughs> Really? And I was like, yeah. And like, I don't know. I thought it was going to just be drums. And I'm like, you thought I was just going to release a drum solo <laughs> on Spotify. <laughs> like, come on. <laughs> you know, I thought about that with my social media as well. Like, how do you treat social media? Because it's always a topic of discussion, and some yeah. people really don't want to do it and i'm a believer that you shouldn't do it if you don't want to do it you just have to find the angle that makes you want to share something genuine i think you've hit the nail on the head there that it has to be genuine and because i'm quite aware that like my instagram following contains producers people i've worked with people i respect in the music industry that will see my posts so there's like that element of their watching then i've got my friends from school then I've got like my friends from uni, friends from work, friends from wherever. 
and then you've got like family and so if I sort of swear on there or say things in a way that doesn't suit me and they don't know me to be that way that there's certain words that I just can't pull off you know like yeah it just doesn't feel right and I am a bit bored of saying I'm so excited about this (laughs) and need to think of something else to say (laughs) I am excited but I don't have any other adjectives that suit me I can't say certain words that they just doesn't work for me I'm I don't use them in normal conversation but you know so I do just try and keep it keep it real sounds a bit lame but keep it as me (laughs) you know yeah yeah, Um, I, I get it I get it but I understand it if you don't want to post and I'm someone that you know didn't have social media for a long time and I don't really want to to be honest but if you want to grow as an artist you do need to have it it's the biggest way of being discovered and people nowadays actually want to be on that journey and I've seen that with the two tracks I've done teaser videos for and shared those tracks with you know the demo versions they're the ones that have done the best because people feel connected with that track they've seen it goes through various forms and phases. They've heard it for three weeks with the algorithm not even posting. You know, I do a release day post and some people don't even see it. So if you don't do a few posts beforehand, people won't even know you put a track out and they miss it. And actually, if you want people to hear your music, which kind of, to me, feels like the end goal for a lot of people, you have to yeah. do it. But just find a way of, of doing it. You don't have to do selfies. I'm, I'm not very photogenic and that selfies don't work for me so well. And, yeah, just find a way of you doing something that feels genuine. I think that's where people go wrong. And just if you look at too many other people, that's where you start getting influenced, maybe in the wrong way. Of You know, you see some people are very good and charismatic on social media, so they should do that. Yeah, Not everyone is. You should never fake that. You can treat social media just as a news feed. If you just think of it as... This is me telling a story. And every time I put something out, it is carrying that listener yeah. through my music career. Then, you know, you shouldn't have to post much. That's a way of just being present like, on it. Keeping it simple and, and being present, you know. You don't have to post every minute. Like, I know no. you do if you want to grow, but it's proven or whatever. Like, the more you post, the whatever. But, like, it's fine to grow a bit slower because I do think that I look at a band like The National took four albums to break or three albums or whatever but they're there for the long term and i certainly don't want to be an overnight success you know that's exactly that that's what it's about it's like you've got to have the long-term way of thinking because you've got to have a sustainable way of doing it It, it's a very draining process if you allow it to be or you can just plan for the long term and try and basically look after the quality rather than the quantity is you know the classic case of that let's round this off thank you so much you know we've spoken through a lot there like kind of more than i I thought we would just before we go like do you have any long-term goals what's next for serrano so i have some like career ambitions as i would say Um, career with a quote but i think you know it's always been a dream to play certain venues and certain things like to get to glastonbury one day would be amazing even on the tiniest stage just to do it and to say i've done that in my life for myself would be amazing i have two eps in mind kind of taking the sort of white wine afterburn side of my tracks which are a bit more storytelling and singer songwriter feels like the wrong description but more singing basically is one ep and that's the limitations ep and, and then the other EP is going more electronic 
And my next track that I'm going to put out is called The Boulder Problem. And basically, have you seen Free Solo at all? Um, yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I basically watched that documentary at kind of the low point in my sort of eight-year journey. So I was sort of six years into it, or five years at the time, I think, and really frustrated with not being able to finish anything. And I watched this guy get rescued off the rock when he attempted to get past the boulder problem. And it's like impossible which way he goes around it. And and he comes down, he's like, maybe I'll never do it, but I've done it with ropes, maybe that's okay. And you can see his frustration. And I was like, I know how you feel. And then, (laughs) you know, he sits there and then after eight years, he does it. And there's that moment where he gets to the top, gets on top and you just see pure elation as random walkers walk on past, not really caring or even knowing what he's achieved in his own (laughs) personal life. And when I put white wine out, I I sat there in the cinema being like, I want that moment. I really, really want to put a song out and just have have beaten these tracks that have tormented me for years. And (laughs) to have put the EP out and white wine to me is me getting to the top of my Yosemite and (laughs) people maybe can't quite relate to just how much that kind of matters to me to have I was like 18 making these demos 17 or whatever and now I've actually finished them and they exist and I can meet someone and just show them a Spotify page instead of a private SoundCloud link that will break every two weeks when I change it and that feels so liberating and the Boulder problem is an electronic track that kind of captures the tension and release of essentially beating the boulder problem and i wanted to release it as the first thing after beating my ep basically and the idea is to kind of go down two ways so that i can do an introverted set or an extroverted set and get my audience to kind of vote how they feel on the night basically tailor my set list according to the room um with my electronic stuff being more introverted and my extroverted stuff being more sing-along that kind of thing Amazing. Awesome. I just want to say, if your goal is to get to Glastonbury, you can do it. Like, <laughs> you just have to visualise it. Like, everything you do from now until whenever, just make every decision be that with that in mind. Because you yeah. will get there. That's not impossible 100%. at all. It isn't. You just have to believe it and visualise it. Yeah. And I'm sure you get there. I mean, your stuff's great. I'm excited. I think, you know, maybe also... One day there's sound design and scoring in there for you as well. Who knows? Yeah. Just before we go, where can we find you on the old socials? At Serrano Music on Instagram, info at serranomusic.com if you want to email, and kind of it, (laughs) really, or my website. That's perfect. And lastly, if you were to say to your younger self who was struggling to put out that first song, what would you say to that person having been through it now? I think now in today's landscape of releasing music, don't compromise on what you want the track to be because I think there's no point in putting a song out that you're not happy with. I can always look back and be proud of what I've released, whether it sits at less than a thousand streams or takes off. I'll never regret the sound, but I think also recognize that there's more songs in you and it doesn't have to be your best one. And it doesn't have to be as good as, you know, I would listen to like the killers and think, how does this track just seem to pop off for everybody here? <laughs> like, even they're not like my favorite band. I just think like them and, Coldplay or whoever they have this audience moment where everyone's some catch yeah. it. I'd, I'd love to write a song like that 
and actually like you can do that but you can do that by learning how to do that rather than it's not one shot you're always three minutes away from a hit basically absolutely um, well said. Amazing. Thank you, James. Thanks Thank you so, so much, much for having me, guys. It's great to um, meet you. It'd be, it'd be great to uh, actually meet in the flesh, go for yeah, a beer definitely. or something. Maybe that'll be soon. Like, I'll send you a message. I, Please do. I'm a always bit close to you. So. you guys come here and stuff and do a session, whatever. I'm always up for everything. Let's get Sounds it done. Good. Let's get it in. All right. Take care, mate. If you like what you've heard today please hit the follow or subscribe button to be notified about future episodes you can massively help us out by leaving a review and sharing with your friends and family is also a beautiful way to help us grow as always we'd love to hear from you so don't be a stranger we want to build a community and we want you to be a part of it until the next one stay good <laughs>